0: What is going on, guys? Welcome to episode number four of the Whole 9 Draft Podcast. I am your host, Josh Berg. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in. We uh, we appreciate it here at Whole 9 for all the support we've been given, whether it's on any of our podcasts, whether it's mine or Brandon's, on the Big Ten Podcast, or all the articles that have been published, we do appreciate the support, um, and we hope to continue to gain your support and continue to grow the more we invest in our brand we've got a great show for you guys today a lot of interesting stuff has happened this weekend involving the nfl college football and the draft uh we obviously had the two injury we're going to talk about Tua's injury and the impact not on just his draft stock But on the Miami Dolphins, I'm also going to go in-depth. For every single one of you guys out there that want to become a scout, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys the full breakdown process of what I do, what works for me, and what the entire process really consists of. It's a lot more complicated, a lot more moving pieces than some random Twitter guy will admit. We've got a draft flashback today. I'm going to go ahead and rank the last 10 first overall picks. From this year's Kyler Murray all the way to 2010 when Sam Bradford was taken, I'm also going to give my pick as who I would have taken at number one, who my number one overall player was that year, so on and so forth. And we also are going to be rebuilding the Cleveland Browns today after um, you know, the circus that's happened over there in Cleveland for the last, I don't even know how long, 17 quarterbacks, it's time that we give them a rebuild and we give them a plan to succeed. And also, I know I'm an NFL Draft scouting podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and give my two cents on the Colin Kaepernick situation. I have a lot to say about that one. We'll save that one for the end. But I want to start off with, again, thanking everyone for joining me. Follow me on Twitter at Berg 611 Follow the NFL Draft whole nine podcast. At WNDraftPod on Twitter You get all the updates on that I'm looking for special guests So if you want to come on the show Talk the NFL Draft Talk college football in the NFL with me Ask me questions Have a good conversation We'll do a segment together DM either of those Twitter handles Once again At JoshBerg0611 Or at WNDraftPod on Twitter And we can have a conversation Set up a time to do that I record every Monday Mid-morning Early afternoon And the podcast, obviously, as you guys know, gets released late Monday, early Tuesday. So, that is all I have in store. Let's get into it. We're talking about Tua. Now, if you guys lived under a rock for this weekend, went, you know, fishing in the middle of a lake with no Wi Fi or cell service. Tua to Tagaviola, Tonga however you say his name, someone please tell me how you say his last name because I hear it pronounced fifty different ways. We we all, everyone calls him just Tua at this point because I think it's Tonga but I'm not 100 percent sure. Anyways, Alabama's quarterback, potential number one overall pick, consensus number one quarterback by most people. Although Joe Burrow is rising, he is my number. He's my QB one. Joe Burrow is went down on Saturday against Mississippi State. With a hip flexor injury. Now, this play was not easy to watch, and his reaction after the play had finished was not easy to watch. Um, it reminded a lot of us that were alive anyway. I, I was not living when this injury happened, but seeing old videos and stories of Bo Jackson's injury that ended his career. Um, it was not easy. To watch the pain that he was in, the reaction around the stadium, that's his teammates, Nick Saban, the entire college football community. It was not easy to watch Tua to go through what he went through on Saturday. Now, as an NFL draft analyst, we have to keep this transparent and keep the feelings of the player aside and focus on it independently in itself, this could severely, severely impact Tua and the NFL Draft. And I'm not talking about just a couple spots, um, you know, following from, you know, picking one to pick four, or pick four to pick 12, or whatever. This could have severe implications on not just the NFL Draft, but this man's career. Now, Alabama was able to reduce the... Um, this location, right there at the stadium before he was airlifted to St. Vincent's Hospital um, where he will undergo surgery today on the hip to get it fully replaced. And they do expect him to have a full recovery, but we don't know how long that recovery is going to be. Now, um, what this does from not just an NFL draft standpoint, from, from an NFL draft analyst and NFL draft podcast and scout standpoint, it is really difficult to to judge and grade Tua fairly in the process. And we'll talk about this more in the scouting process in a little bit, but we now can't officially put a label on Tua for what it is and you can check out a great article by Mason Lebeau on hole9sports.com as he completely went in depth on this whole situation in an article. It's a great article. Uh, I've read it two or three times just myself. Um gonna talk about the bu- bunch of moving parts. What this does for Tua, what this does for the Dolphins, what this does for the rest of this year's draft and next year's draft. Um, whether that has implications on Joe Burrow, Alabama. It's a great article. You guys go over to whole9sports.com, hit the articles tab, and it should be the second or third one on your screen. It's fantastic. Great. Mason did a great job. But what a lot of people don't understand, and we're going to get into the scouting process here just a little bit, but in order to fully gain an opinion on a player, Especially an injured one We need all the information that we can And right now that judgment and information is cloudy We do not have The assets that we have And the information that we have To judge this guy fairly um, To put a label or a grade on him Right now Is difficult because we don't know the outlook Of the hip We don't know how severe it's going to be As far as Time out We don't know the timetable it'll take From recovery to rehab to being able to gain full movement again to be able to be the athletic, pure, efficient passer that we know Tua can be. We don't know any of that information, so it's hard to put a grade on such a player. Um, As of right now, I am putting him off of my 2020 draft boards. Until I know more, he has been eliminated from draft boards for me. Not necessarily saying that I wouldn't draft him if he was eligible, but from a scouting and grading and big board and ranking standpoint, as far as who's quarterback one, quarterback two, Tua is eliminated. As far as if he's number four, number 10 on my big board, he's eliminated. He's no longer on my list. Because I truly don't know if he's going to play or if he's going to even declare. People forget. This guy has another year of eligibility. He can easily rehab this summer at Alabama's facilities. Come back and play next year and be the surefire quarterback one next year if he's deemed fully healthy and is able to be the guy that we think he is. So, as far as the implications on the 2020 draft class, it has a big one because Joe Burrow is now the legitimate QB1. Justin Herbert will rise stock. You'll see guys like Jordan Love and Jake Fromm, who, although a lot of us may not have his first-round grade, be getting first-round looks because people thought that they were getting 3-4 to four. Uh, round one opportunities at quarterback and now they're looking at two so now they're going to start pushing guys up the board if they are in need of a quarterback uh it this really has a severe downfall on what the entire nfl landscape could look like next year and it absolutely kind of screws the dolphins the dolphins to me have done a great job at accumulating picks and Although I don't agree with trading away your young players like Tunsell and Fitzpatrick, who could have been cornerstones on both sides of the ball, what they got in return for those players has been pretty good. Um, Gaining first from both teams that you traded with, as well as future picks. Miami now needs to focus on completely overhauling their roster gaining players substantial players to put at holes you know an offensive tackle a receiver a corner a linebacker you know things like they need to focus on the important positions on the offense and defense to gate to gain a stable roster because jordan uh, josh rosen's a pretty good quarterback at least to me i think that he can be pretty decent okay quarterback in the nfl um you have him in your building still Ryan Fitzpatrick seems to still want to play. So say you just run it back next year. Say Tua doesn't declare. You can just run it back next year. still have the assets and picks. You could tank for Tua again next year where you have the assets that you can move up in the draft to acquire him if needed. Or they can look in the direction of a Justin Herbert or trade up substantially to see if they can even convince Cincinnati to move and take Joe Burrow. You know what I mean? So they have... Options here What I would personally do is I would get on the horse for 2021 I would Gain as many good players In this year's draft as possible You know a pick 4 You could look at You know a Jeffrey Okuda Or a Jerry Judy Or a Chase Young If he's still there And then you know With the uh, Steelers pick You can look at a mid-round pick Like an Alex Leatherwood Or a Tyler Biazdez. And then the Houston Texans pick You could look at You know a Diggs Or a Debo Or a Henderson Or Dylan Moses you know gain as many good talented players as you can on this roster make this roster a competent and well-rounded team because then in 2021 with the quarterback class there and we don't know you know the elite talent. you know you can have Sam Ellinger and you say Tua doesn't declare which I don't think he will anymore um you'll have Tua so you'll have options at quarterback in 2021 which I know kind of sucks for Dolphins fans because, you know, you've had this really bad year of suffering and trading with all these players, and now you don't have a quarterback, and and I'm telling you guys to do the same thing again next year where you're going to have picks and you're not going to have a quarterback and you're going to lose and you're going to be bad, but if a quarterback walks into a situation that's got a good roster, good foundation, good offensive line, he succeeds. Look at the difference between Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold. We all can agree that Sam Darnold... Was the better quarterback out of the draft classes from a grading standpoint, from a trade standpoint, from a talent standpoint, and from an upside standpoint? We all can agree that Sam Darnold could have been a surefire Hall of Famer. At least we could have projected him to be an all-pro t- quarterback type of type of quarterback. And Lamar Jackson was a project that, if you un- if if you were able to unleash his abilities, would be a superstar. Which we were seeing bud into our frontrunner MVP discussion in front of our eyes The reason why that is Lamar Jackson went to a team that, would, that ended up picking him at 32 um, Miami Dolphins who had a foundation Good owner, good GM, good head coach Defensive um, powerhouse Stable offensive line Good offensive system And they were able to insert Lamar Jackson Change a couple things and make it work Sam Donald went to a place Where not such a good roster Not at all No offensive line stability No head coaching stability No GM stability No defensive stalwarts Other than your safety Um, And he's struggling Organizational structure and roster management Is always crucial for a young quarterback So with the Dolphins, if they decide that they want to take a quarterback at whatever pick they have without filling out their roster, then that quarterback could be deemed to fail. Or, if you build your roster, and I don't know why my fan is on my laptop, it's being really loud, but if you build your roster, and then run it back 2021 20, where Tua will be available if he decides to stay, then you can run it back, Tua will come in in a better situation with a better roster. Now, the, 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 one of the best quotes that I that I heard As I'm uh, doing research for this uh, project Is how NFL evaluators will evaluate Tua, obviously And Pat McAfee on Get Up this morning Was the best ability is availability Tua has had four surgeries in his collegiate career Four He's had a knee, an ankle and I think he had two on his ankle A knee, and then a, a hip I could be completely wrong But I know for sure it was an ankle and a hip For sure he is not available, and he hasn't proven that he can stay healthy in the NFL. And this is behind, you know, an offensive line that's got NFL starters across the board with weapons that are top 10 picks, a wide receiver, and a first-round running back. So you go to the Dolphins with none of those, you could be in some serious trouble here. And will the head coaches and GMs in the league want to bet their future on a guy that can't stay healthy? I don't know. I, I truly don't know. Like I said, this is an intriguing uh, thing going on here, you know We had a situation kind of similar to this With Jalen Smith from Notre Dame a couple years ago He ended up going second round at Dallas And is in, you know, a Pro Bowl linebacker But he was a surefire Top 5 pick, number 1 overall player On a lot of boards And He blew up his knee He blew up his, his uh, ACL And he plummeted the second round this is, this is that same situation, only to a higher degree because it is the most important position in all sports, the quarterback. It is the most important position on the football field in the quarterback. If a team gets this wrong, if they're, they get the wrong information from doctors, if Tua doesn't come back healthy, their entire job is going to be on the line. And Tua... Forget the hip for a minute. I already had concerns about him with his ankles and him not looking as athletic when he's hurt. I mean, obviously it makes common sense, right? But he didn't he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Now you throw in the hip injury and this is a severe case of a guy that gets injured in college, gets injured in the pros. It happened with Sam Bradford, it happened with RG3, it could happen with Tua. Um It's just really unfortunate for college football. It's really unfortunate for the NFL Draft. And the poor Miami Dolphins, man, I swear. The Dolphins had this great plan. We're going to tank for Tua. We're going to get this quarterback right. We're going to get a bunch of picks, get Tua, get a bunch of guys around him. We're just going to take a bunch of Alabama guys. We're going to take Leatherwood and Judy and Tua. We're going to have the Alabama Crimson Dolphins. And then they start winning games. Tua gets hurt. And now you're back to square one of what your plan is. It's going to be interesting to see what Miami does. It's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening to it. We all hope for him to have the best. We all hope for him to come back healthy. And hope that his career will still be intact and we can see him do what he's doing currently at the college level, at the pro level. So that's my take on that. And this is kind of a smooth transition because this kind of goes into... We're going to talk about next, and that's the scouting process as a whole. Um, I was on Twitter last night, you night know, before, and I'm a big Matt Miller guy from Bleacher Report. I think a lot of us at Whole Nine really love Matt Miller and his work that he's done with Bleacher Report. Whether they are a quote unquote competitor of Whole Nine or not, because we are both in the same, um, you know, type of media, but. He has done some incredible work. We've been following him for years. And I uh, I follow his Twitter pretty much religiously. Anything that he says, I'm willing to listen to. And he has a lot of these people that, you know, try to prove him wrong, say that he sucks. I mean, it's Twitter. It happens. This morning, he had a guy telling him that Dak was horrible, and then we pulled up the numbers, and Dak's been one of the best quarterbacks. if not the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, it, it, it happens to the best of us. Um, but he was in an argument that I decided to chip in, saying that a guy... That we don't know how to scout. That us guys that you know do this twenty four seven don't know how to scout. And he, this opinion was formed by this no name guy on Twitter because he asked what he thought of Trevor Lawrence, and Matt Miller made the obvious response: "I don't have an opinion on Trevor Lawrence. I haven't been able to study him." Keyword there is study. Um, and this guy came back saying, "Well, you, you don't watch Trevor Lawrence? No, no." We do watch Trevor Lawrence, but we don't study him. So I'm going to go over the scouting process here, and I'm going to use the Trevor Lawrence example here as a part of my explanation. And I chimed in on Twitter. You can go ahead and check the tweets out. I'm not going to rehash it. I'm going to kind of go over what I had to say in this segment. But the first step to every scouting process, regardless of what grading skill you use, what traits you focus on, it's pretty much universal is you pick your prospect that you want to focus on. In the game film, that you, whatever you wake up, decide, I want to watch uh, Tua, I want to watch Travis Etienne, I want to watch Raquan Davis, whoever it is. You pick your player, you find your grading skill for that position, the things you like to watch. So if it's a running back, you want to look at his elusiveness, his uh, ability to finish runs, receiving ability, blocking upside, speed, strength, elusiveness, agility, vision you are looking at quarterback, it's arm talent, IQ, ability to read defenses. If it's offensive tackle, you want to look at ability to shed, strength, tackling, ability to get to the quarterback, you know, versatility, those types of things. Everyone has their own grading skill on traits. You guys can check out I have three different reports on three different players on the website with three different grading skills as far as what traits I look at. So you wake up, you wanna you wanna focus on T. Higgins, wide receiver from Clemson. So instantly in your mind, you know that you're gonna be looking at his ability to get off the line of scrimmage, his hands, his ability to catch in traffic, his route running, his ability to make cuts, etc. So, step one, you've got your prospect. The difference between watching and studying are two completely different things. And not everyone completely understands this because not everyone is an NFL scout or an NFL draft analyst or a pod whatever it is. Not everyone understands the entire process and the amount of work that all of us do 24 7 the scouting process does not ever end once the 2019 draft was over we started working at 2020 once the 2020 draft concludes we're going to look at 2021 24 7 365 days a year, we're always looking at film breaking down players i'm not saying that we don't sleep i'm not saying that you know what i mean you, know what I mean? you guys get my point we're always looking for new information looking at new prospects gaining new opinions on players so scouts, like myself, we when we are studying game film on a player, we watch the game with a totally different set of eyes, different perspective, different purpose. Our job is to completely dissect and analyze every little bit and every little detail of the per- specific player that we want to watch. We don't look at the surrounding players. We don't look at the outcome of the game. We don't look at the box score. We don't look at the... The coaching, we look at strictly what that player is able to do and the traits that he possesses. So, like Matt Miller said on Twitter, when scouting T. Higgins or Travis Etienne, we are not looking at Trevor Lawrence. We are not looking at Trevor Lawrence's footwork. We are not looking at his accuracy, his arm strength, his ability to move. We're looking strictly at T. Higgins. We're looking at what he is able to do, what Travis Etienne is able to do. What he does on film matters little. When we are watching these other players, and because Lawrence is two years away, one to two, he's at least one year away, possibly two years away from even being an NFL draft prospect, it is hard to determine an opinion on him because we have not even started looking at him yet from a scouting perspective with scouts' eyes, as I call it, scouts' eyes. So we can't compare him to Joe Burrow or to Baker Mayfield or to Tua or Jordan Love. We don't have that firm opinion because we have studied those other players like Tua Love, Burrow, Baker, Kyler, whatever it is. We have not studied Trevor Lawrence because we are focusing on the pieces around Trevor that are draft eligible this year, ETN, Higgins, just to name a few of those names. So when watching Etienne, at least for me, I'm looking for a couple different big things. I'm looking at his burst from his very first step when he gets the ball. I'm looking at his vision. Is he able to find holes, ability to break tackles, make cuts, block, his receiving ability, ability to power through and finish runs, his breakaway speed, etc. I am looking at Etienne, every little thing that Etienne does on the specific game film that I'm watching does not matter the opponent does not matter the venue it does not matter what lawrence is doing it doesn't matter the protection i want to look at strictly etn and i guess i shouldn't say it doesn't matter what lawrence or whatever because if t higgins doesn't catch a ball and the ball is thrown badly then you kind of judge it based on circumstance right but 99 percent of the time i am focused on strictly what etn is doing what higgins is doing whatever player i'm watching if i'm watching jerry judy and if i'm Studying Jerry Judy, I'm not worried about what Tua is doing because I'm focused on the wide receiver, what Judy is doing on film. So I am less concerned about what Trevor Lawrence is doing in that frame. When I'm focused on Etienne or Higgins or whatever player that I'm choosing, I'm less focused on what the surrounding players are doing. I'm locked in on my player. Because our job is to... Focus on the traits and abilities of the specific player individually So we can accurately place a firm grade And gain a solid opinion on the player And give a fair and accurate projection Of what this player will be in the future If I am busy focusing on Trevor Lawrence in his footwork When T. Higgins is running a go route I could miss some important things that Higgins ha- has His footwork his ability to get off the line, his ability to out-physical the corner or defensive back, his hand strength, his usage. So I would miss all of these intricate details if I was looking at Trevor Lawrence on that play. You lock in on your player and you watch the film develop. And this isn't just, you know, we look at one specific play, we look at that play from different angles, we look at that play from different camera views, we look at it from different perspectives... We look at every intricate detail in order to get a firm, firm opinion. I, and it's different for everyone, but I spend up to two hours on one player's game film. One to two hours just watching one one piece of tape from a player, which is why it takes me so long to get scouting reports done. I want to be precise. I want to be perfect. So if I'm watching Joe Burrow versus Alabama, I could be watching that game film for An hour to two hours. Focusing on every little detail. And maybe it's because I like to be perfect and be perfectionist, you know. But I'm focusing on every detail that Joe Burrow was doing. And what he brings to the table. Every piece of footwork. Every drop back. Every cadence. Every signal. Every move. Every arm. Movement. Every accurate throw. Inaccurate throw. Everything. I'm looking at everything. Because I'm using scouts' eyes. But when I'm watching the game... On CBS, Alabama LSU, and I'm watching, sure, I could see what Jerry Judy's doing and what Tua is doing and what Burrow is doing. Najee Harris is doing, Christian and I can see what they're doing, but it's not until I turn on my scout size that I am able to fully break down and block everything else out. So that's the main discrepancy here between scouting and what these people on Twitter seem to think. Sure, we can gain a firm opinion on Trevor Lawrence. If we lock in and scout him. And we we study him. But studying a player and watching a player is completely different. I uh, I used a Dwayne Haskins um, example a couple episodes ago. A couple weeks ago. Where I broke down why he was struggling. Because I went back on the film and I studied what he was doing. Instead of just watching the game unfold. If I see something in the game... When I'm watching, I know I can go back and study it and figure out what's happening. It's a very intricate, very long process, which is why some people just don't understand it. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm better than you are. You are just stupid and I'm, you know, a genius. I mean, I have no credential yet, right? I'm just a guy that's doing what he wants to do and has been scouting for a while ever since he was 10. And I've gotten better at scouting as I've gotten older. And I've learned a lot of these things because of the people that I've talked to, because of the people that I have learned from and followed religiously like a Matt Miller um, and Brandon Oles. And you know who, whoever I have been taught in contact with for the past however many years I've been learning, and I, you take little pieces of detail from every person until you form your own kind of process. And I've found my process. My process is I pick a player, I sit down, focus on that player for two, three, four hours – until I can gain a firm opinion on the player and then I spend about an hour or two writing the report. And even then, grades don't change. The three reports that I have on whole 9 right now, their grades could change based on you know what I what I can see on film when I go back and look at it. But watching and studying film is completely different. You could watch a random Boston College NC State game. And not have any clue what the players are doing as far as from a scouting perspective. But then you turn on your scout size and you spend 2-3 hours studying and scouting the play- the player that you want to scout. You gain a entirely totally different perspective on what that player really is. So I just wanted to get that out there. Um, I'm more than happy to answer any questions anyone has. Go ahead and shoot me a DM on Twitter at JoshBerg0611. Like I said, I'm more than happy to help anyone understand if they didn't. I didn't want to come off like a cocky asshole. Um, that I know everything and you don't know everything. I just wish people understood the amount of work that everyone, every NFL scout, any NFL draft analyst, anyone from Bleacher Report to Whole 9 to NFL.com, any of their draft analysts, the amount of work that all of us put in and a player. It's not just watching a game and saying, yeah, that guy's good at football. There is a lot more details that go into it. So I wanted to go with that. Going to the NFL draft, it's time for another edition of Draft Flashbacks. And I was sitting, I it was at Starbucks um, this morning, trying to figure out what I wanted to do for the draft segments, uh, the draft flashback segment. And uh, I decided, I've been scouting for 10 years now, why don't we rank the last 10 first overall picks? So, a little bit of backstory on me the first NFL draft that I really followed religiously was 2009, Matt Stafford went number one quarterback from georgia i didn't know much about the scouting process as far as scouting but i knew the players i knew i had my own mock drafts that i kind of just bs'd on a notebook piece of paper while my fourth grade teacher was telling me i should be doing this blah blah, whatever i think i'm fourth grade i don't know 2009 third grade maybe second or third grade i don't know i was eight so however old eight-year-olds would be Whatever grade that is That's that's what grade I was in Doing mock drafts with, I mean I would go Every year I would I would get magazines I'd get I think it was the uh, Athlon sports Magazines That would just have The list of prospects And you know Summaries and reports And then I would Form my opinion Based on those reports That I would read And so on and so forth And then it bloomed Into what I am now Which is a complete Nerd that has no life Other than scouting The NFL draft Going to school And uh, going to His day job So it's uh, it's it's a lifestyle, I'm telling you. But 2010 was the first draft that I really started going in depth and scouting. I remember getting the magazine that had Sam Bradford and uh, and sue on the cover, and I told myself then that that's what I wanted to do, and now here I am doing it. So that's kind of like my entire thing. But with this segment, I I'm going to start in 2019, work my way back to 2010 give you guys in case you guys just forgot who the number one overall pick was and who I personally would have taken at number one or who my number one overall player was that year. So last year it was Kyler Murray, who was a quarterback at Oklahoma, got picked by the Arizona Cardinals, traded Josh Rosen to Miami for a second. We know the story. If I was Arizona the entire time, I would have taken Nick Bosa, kept Josh Rosen, taken Nick Bosa. Um, it just made too much sense for me. I loved the Bosa. I loved Joey when he came out a couple years ago. I loved Nick even more, so I would have gone that route. 2018, Cleveland Browns took Baker Mayfield to many people's dismay. Quarterback out of Oklahoma, is there a trend there? And eh, maybe a little bit. There's three Oklahoma quarterbacks that have been taken number one overall since 2010. The other one is the 2010 quarterback Sam Bradford. Obviously, I would have taken Sam Donald. I um, Sam Donald report is the one that I sent to Brandon for my kind of like audition, I guess, to get a job. With whole Nine, he said uh, I, He DM'd me on Twitter. I texted him back. Uh, he said, send me an article or a report, and I'll read it over. And I sent it to him. He liked what he saw. And he gave me the position. So um, we then built a friendship, and now here I am. But Darnold, I absolutely was in love with Sam Darnold. I felt like he could have turned Cleveland around. He was the guy for me. They took Baker Mayfield, which to be determined, who's the better quarterback? I don't quite know yet. I truly don't know. Lamar Jackson is my answer for who's the best quarterback in 2018 so far. It's it's Lamar Jackson. Um, Everyone else is kind of in the meh category as far as they haven't really been able to showcase everything due to, you know, either poor weapons or poor ownership or poor play, whatever it is. Everyone's got their excuses. Year three is the make-or-break year for a lot of these quarterbacks in 2018. 2017, uh, Miles Garrett went number one, defensive end from Texas A&M. He went to the Cleveland Browns. I also had Miles Garrett number one. Um, it was a surefire slam dunk from Miles Garrett to the Browns. 2016. I remember in 20... This was my freshman year of high school. This draft class was. Um, and me and I, I met a buddy in my English class named Jake Ryan. And I know he'll listen at some point um, to the show. And he'll, he'll remember this just as vividly as I do. But we would sit in our English class and instead of doing the English homework we would still do the English. we'd still get our work done, read, whatever but we would be pulling up websites and we would be doing our own mock drafts I still have on my Google Drive folder we tried doing a 7 round mock draft, just the two of us in 2016 um, alternating picks I think we got maybe 4 or 5 picks right in that entire draft um, it, it was rough, it was bad but we got about 4 rounds in And then we got to a bunch of the names that we didn't know of So we kind of gave up And it, was, it wasn't it was until That year that I got like hardcore Like literally scouting over 400-500 players um, It was that Experience with Jake that gave me this But anyway, Jared Goff went number 1 to the St. Louis Rams Quarterback out of Cal I had Wentz um, Who ended up going number 2 to Philly I had Carson Wentz as the number 1 overall pick I thought he should have been the guy But I just remember this quote from 2016 and i'm going off on a tangent but i don't care because it's my show and you guys i hope you guys do enjoy the stories but jake and i were sitting in the 2016 draft like just ended now we're like okay on the 2017 and we look at these websites who had the 2017 quarterbacks you know it was um deshaun watson and mitchell trubisky and then we we see this other name that we had never heard of as far as we hadn't watched film, we hadn't gotten into the 2017 film yet. We knew Deshaun Watson was because, you know, Clemson, National Powerhouse, right? Um, and we both look at each other, and Jake says to me, who's this Patrick Mahomes guy? So then we start going to all these other draft websites, and Patrick Mahomes is like quarterback four, quarterback five, and we're like, okay. Okay, let's 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 just watch a quick film. So we found a YouTube proxy on the Google Chromebooks that the school gave us, and we pulled up Patrick Mahomes' film. We both looked at each other, and our jaws dropped. We're like, this guy's going to be a star. And that's how we found Patrick Mahomes, was Jake Ryan and me in uh, English class, not doing our work. So it's a fun story for you. Uh, Moving on, 2015, Jameis Winston was the first overall pick. That was the Winston Mariota draft class. Quarterback, Florida State, went to Tampa. Marcus Murray went second overall. Quarterback from Oregon to Tennessee. I thought all along that Buccaneers should have said, screw the quarterback and take Leonard Williams. I thought Leonard Williams out of USC was the number one overall pick, number one overall player, pure dominant player in college. They should have gone that route. Jameis Winston's been a bust. Shocker. He's number 10 on my top 10 list for the last 10 years. So, yikes. 2014, Genevion Clowney defensive end at South Carolina, went number one overall to Houston. He also was my number one overall uh, pick that year, number one overall player. Um, I was sold on Clowney. I I always liked this film, but I was sold on him when he had that Michigan hit against, uh, I can't remember his name, the running back, Smith, I think it was his name, I can't remember, in the uh, Outback Bowl, South Carolina, Michigan, when he completely destroyed the running back in the back. Why do I feel like his name is Smith? I have no idea. Um, But when he had that hit and the helmet popped off and he grabbed the ball with the one hand and picked it up Instant instantly one of my favorite clips in college Football history. It was fantastic and I was sold on that guy ever since and he's he's proven right He's been a dominant player 2013 this draft class sucked pretty badly Um, Eric Fisher went number one overall At least at least like the top 10 picks were not good in this class 2013, Eric Fisher, offensive tackle out of Central Michigan. Went number one to Kansas City Chiefs. I was a Luke Jokel guy. I thought Luke Jokel should have been the pick at number one. Not saying he was my number one overall player, but the top two picks always back and forth were offensive tackles, right? I like Luke Jokel a little bit more. I don't know if it was just, you know, 11-year-old me liked uh, Texas A&M more than Central Michigan. Clearly, I was wrong. Luke Jokel, I don't think, is in the league anymore. If he is, he's a backup, and he got moved to guard. Last time I uh, I remember seeing him was in Seattle, after the Jags cut him. Eric Fisher's been pretty good um, the past couple seasons after a rocky start. So I have my misses just like everyone else. 2012, Andrew Luck, quarterback, Stanford, Indianapolis Colts. Yes, he's my number one overall player. He's the highest graded quarterback I have ever scouted in my entire life. It's not even close. Andrew Luck was a pick. 2011, Cam Newton, quarterback out of Auburn, Carolina. He was also my number one overall player and pick there for Carolina. And then in 2010, Sam Bradford, Quarterback out of Oklahoma went to the St. Louis Rams. Ndamukong Suh was a number one overall player and would have been my pick there, but the Rams need the quarterback so we get why they did it. So there's your backstory on the last 10 overall picks. Let's rank them. Number 10 is Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, to me, was always a big turnover machine in college. I did not like the off-field stuff. I did not like the turnovers. I did not like the carelessness and it's proven right. 18 interceptions in 10 games this year Tampa Bay looks to be wanting or needing if they're not wanting needing to move off of him pretty badly Tennessee looks to do the same with Mariota number 9 I have Sam Bradford on the list um, like I mentioned before players that get hurt in college are players that get hurt in the NFL when he was healthy he had a pretty good season in Minnesota uh, 2016 when they went 8-8 eight and eight, he played pretty well he just didn't have offensive line to protect him, and, you know, we didn't have the dig-stealing monster that we have now. Um, but he played pretty well when he was when he was healthy. In 2017, he was playing well. Case Keenum took over after Bradford got hurt. Story is, uh, you know, history at this point. The Teddy Bridgewater injury completely changed the transparency of the NFL. Teddy never gets hurt. Sam Bradford never gets traded from the Eagles to the Vikings for first-round pick. Do the Eagles end up taking Carson Wentz or keeping Sam Bradford? It's just an entire. There was an article that I I can't remember who was by, but it was it was a fantastic article that really broke down literally how Teddy Bridgewater changed the trans his injury changed the uh, complexion of the NFL. It's fantastic. It's a great read. Number eight, I have Baker Mayfield. Um, I didn't like the off field stuff. I thought he was a smart, accurate quarterback. As far as on field, he didn't have. A great arm. He was okay athletically, but the off the field stuff really concerned me. And so far, he's, you know, the Miles Garrett situation obviously proved him to be, uh, you know, a stand up guy. He seems to be finally turning a new leaf, at least I would hope so. And he played pretty okay. Uh, Turnovers are still an issue for him, though, so he's right there, number eight. Right behind him is the guy that was taken after him uh, the year after number one overall pick, Kyler Murray, number seven. This guy's athletically gifted. This guy is talented, he's going to be a really good football player for a long time for the Arizona Cardinals. Him and Cliff Kingsbury match made in heaven. I also want to point out that these are not ranked based on the grades that I gave them in college. That's not what this is. This is rating them based on what they have been in the NFL so far. I wanted to get that kind of out of the way before um you know we get any further on this list. Because I will be the first one to tell you that I was not a Kyler or a Baker Mayfield fan coming out of college. Um, in 2018, I was the same Donald guy. I loved Donald and Rosen. They were, I think by point three on the grading scale, they were point three away. I think, um, Donald was an 88.1 and Rosen was an 87.8 or 87.7. So he, w- they were, they were pretty close. And Baker, I think was my QB five out of the big five. And then Kyler was my QB three. Now he was my QB two. I was a drew lock guy in college. Clearly I'm an idiot. Again, I have my misses. I just didn't like I felt like Kyler could have been Johnny Manziel. I people have their misses. I, I this was a clear miss for me. Kyler's going to be just fine in the NFL. Number six is Eric Fisher. Um, no slouch against him for being in the bottom five. I guess you can call it number one overall picks. A lot of it has to do with his early unsuccesses. I guess his struggles. So he's finally being able to put together been a solid left tackle for the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I missed on this guy too. Like I said, I was a joker guy. Like I said, it could have just easily been because I liked AM more than I liked Central Michigan. I don't exactly have the grades right in front of me, what I gave them, but I this draft class sucked so bad. It it was it was just awful. It was this was the Geno Smith EJ Manual draft class, if I remember correctly, at quarterback. So it was not a good draft class at all. Eric Fisher at number six, number five. I have Cam Newton. He, at his best, he's one of the best quarterbacks in football, and at his worst, he is not a starter it it's his inconsistencies proved to be the downfall for him of his career whether he stays in carolina or not i don't know kyle allen doesn't look like the answer anymore in carolina but the distrust between newton and the it's a mess over there i think cam newton ends up at chicago or at least he should and carolina goes to grab you know an nfl quarterback on the free agent market or in the draft but Cam Newton, when he's been good, he's been really good. I mean, he led the Panthers do a Super Bowl appearance when they lost to the shell of Peyton Manning, Denver Broncos team. Cam Newton was exactly who we all thought he was. Big, powerful, strong, athletic playmaker who cleaned up his his image, by the way. Because a lot of people also had questions about him in college as far as attitude and transitioning to the NFL. And he has been phenomenal. He has been a stand-up act. So I don't want to say stand. He's been he's been a lot better than most anticipated, so he's at number five. Number four is Jared Goff. He at the end of this year, he could end up being number nine on this list. Um he's having a rough year. But again, his second year in the league, he led the right second? He led the Rams to a Super Bowl appearance. So can't knock him on that. I think he's got good potential to be a franchise quarterback. I think he is a franchise quarterback. I just think that his offensive line right now is not good and the Rams need to fix that. Number three, I have Jadavion Clowney. The Houston Texans are paying this man to completely dominate for the Seattle Seahawks up front. He is a superstar. He is one of the best passers in the league. He kind of got overshadowed a little bit uh, by JJ Watt early in his career. He also had some injury issues. He's a fully healthy. He's a stud. Number two is Miles Garrett. Um, I'm not going to go in depth on the Miles Garrett situation. I have my opinions on Twitter. The guy is an absolute piece of crap for what he did. Mason Rudolph definitely should share some blame, but you never hit another man with your NFL helmet. Um, he could have had severe casual implications there if he would have hit him in the right spot with the right part of the helmet. Um, but Miles Garrett on the football field is phenomenal. He was a front runner for a defensive player of the year until the incident happened, he is just as good as advertised when we all scouted him two years ago. Um, the guy is absolutely phenomenal. Number one's Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck, if he would have stayed on the course trajectory, obviously got killed by injuries. Course trajectory, we would have been talking about him about first ballot hall of famer and a top 10 quarterback all time. That's how talented this guy was. He's still. He is still. And my grading scale was flawed in 2012. Um, I think I was... I want to say 11. I want to say 11 around NFL draft time. I don't think I had turned 12 yet. It was either 10 going on 11 or 11 turning on 12. So my grading skill definitely is not as good or as intricate as it is now. But Andrew Luck still has the highest grade for a quarterback that I have ever had. I think it was a 95.3. Um, I, w- I want to say 95.3. And that was like full in-depth scout grade wise. Um it was I was not following the process that I do now that I mentioned up top earlier in the show, but he the guy was near perfect coming out of college. And injuries had killed his career, derailed his momentum and has now, you know, been the downfall. Obviously he was retired. But if he would have stayed on course, played the other, you know, seven, eight, nine years that we all think he would have, first ballot Hall of Famer for sure, the talent was absolutely unmatched for him. Um, if I were to expand this to number 12 uh, Number 12 would have been Jamarcus Russell Then it would have been Jameis, Bradford, Baker, Kyler Fisher, Newton, Goff Stafford, Clowney, Garrett, Luck I think Stafford's one of the most underrated If not the most underrated quarterback in the NFL He's phenomenal, been on a crappy team for years It really sucks But those are my thoughts on that I hope you guys did enjoy that I can do more ranking stuff if you guys want I'm still kind of feeling out the type of segments That you guys like to listen to I like doing the draft flashbacks the most Because it brings me back good memories like I said, in the 2016 um, time with Jake Ryan was was fantastic, and it got me one of my best friends for life. So I do appreciate, um, I do appreciate everything that has happened to me since then. So um, that is draft flashbacks. I really, uh, like I said, I could go and do you know the second overall pick and third, you know keep going, but a lot of those guys, a lot of those names, surprisingly, there's not like major busts on this list. I mean, you can consider Jameis Winston a bust, right? But he was a starting quarterback for six, seven years in the league. Sam Bradford, kind of the same deal. So, yeah, their number one overall pick you expect them to be franchise guys. But a lot of these other guys, Baker is to be determined. Kyler looks to be on on point. Cam Newton had his good run. Jared Goff, to be determined, I'm going to say. But, I mean, he led them to Super Bowl appearance year two. Andrew Luck, Surefire Hall of Famer, when... It was all said and done. If he would have continued, I don't think he's getting it in the Hall of Fame anymore, just because he didn't play long. Um, Eric Fisher has been a good left tackle, not a great one, but a good one. Clowney is a top tier pass rusher. Miles Garrett is as well when he comes back from injury. So as far as no, there's not been like a major bust at the number one overall pick. Now number two overall pick, different story. Solomon Thomas, I believe he was a second overall pick. If you can no, he was third. I lied. Second, third pick in 2017. Yikes. Trubisky and Thomas. Thomas finally getting his swagger back with the Niners. But for a couple years there, it looked like it was not good. And Trubisky, I don't even want to talk about him right now. He he got benched the other night. Whether it's a hip injury or not, I don't think so. I think they just benched him because he sucks. That's my opinion. Mitchell Trubisky is a bust. But moving on here, we're going to rebuild a team that is no stranger to draft a bust, especially at the quarterback position. Um, Brandon Whedon, Johnny Manziel is... Is there's no other need I remember Jason Campbell. Jason Campbell actually wasn't that bad. And it's absolutely horrible for me to say that. That talking about the Cleveland Browns quarterback history, that Jason Campbell was not that bad. I remember him when he was in Washington. Yeah, like I said, I've been I was like six when he was quarterback. But yes, I remember I remember collecting his football cards and everything. Big time nerd over here. Anyways, we're gonna rebuild the Cleveland Browns. A lot of talent, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of lack of leadership and discipline. We're going to go over it right now. Step one, fire Freddy Kitchens. He never should have been hired. He was given a position to take that coaching job because the franchise quarterback liked him. You never let your quarterback determine the head coach. Ever. And you never picked a head coach before the GM at, my, uh, at New York Jets. Um... Freddie Kitchens lacks discipline. They're the most penalized team in the league. It's, again, advertised by what happened Thursday night. Um, they need new leadership. They need experience. They need discipline. All things that Freddie Kitchens lacks. Um, some names. Lincoln Riley is obviously the obvious one, right? You know, familiarity with Baker. He's not come to the Cleveland Browns. Like I said, we've been reading reports for months that the only job he would ever take would be the Dallas Cowboys, and I don't even think he wants that job right now. Um, because he's got a good gig going to Oklahoma. Come back twenty-eight to three against Baylor. Baylor and Minnesota both kind of lost all their playoff hopes, I would think. Would they put in a one-loss Big Twelve champ in Baylor and a one-loss Big Twelve or Big Ten champ in Minnesota, assuming the rest of, both of them win out over a team like a, a one-loss non sc champ in Alabama? I don't think so. I just don't think so. Even if, even if it is, Ohio State's one loss to Minnesota, who was the Big Ten champ, would be a lot better than Minnesota's one loss to Iowa, who was a four-loss team. So, I don't know. Inter- interesting to talk about there. I'm not going to go over the college football playoff right now. Um, anyways, Fire Freddy Kitchens, Matt Rule, Lincoln Riley, Eric Bieniemy, Kevin Stavansky, all great Offensive minds that should be considered. Matt Rule would be my number one overall pick, but I also am biased. I want him with Sam Darnold so bad. I'm not even a Jets fan. Like I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, so it kind of sucks to see Stefanski leave. Right? I'm not even a Jets fan, but I love Sam Darnold so much. Matt Rule would do wonders for Sam Darnold, but he could also do wonders for Baker Mayfield in Cleveland too. So give him a call. Eric Bieniemy doesn't call plays. It didn't hurt Matt Nagy. Didn't hurt Doug Peterson the Andy Reid coaching tree Eric Biennium is going to get a job I think Cleveland should at least give an interview and Stefanski interviewed for the Cleveland job last year and was a front runner before they uh, went with Freddie Kitchens maybe they look to rehash that I don't know Stefanski got a pretty good gig on a pretty good football team right now in Minnesota so maybe that's my bias peeking out I don't know. Those are just some names. There's some other names, obviously. I think they're going to eventually hire Mike McCarthy, which would just be the most boring and most lateral move ever because literally they need leadership and discipline. Two things that Mike McCarthy does not have. The experience part, yeah, he's been a head coach for a while. He doesn't have good leadership. He butts head with Aaron Rodgers, right? Baker Mayfield could butt heads with him as well. And the discipline part, I don't know if he could control that locker room. I just don't think he could. That many personalities, I don't know. Number two, it's going to be the Biggest hot take on here. Um, Consider trading Odell. And this part stings because I'm a big fan of what Odell does on the field. But Baker Bayfield does not know how to get him the ball. He does not. He does not know how to do it. He doesn't look like he wants to be there. And you lost a lot of draft capital by trading him, trading for him. If you trade him, you will regain that draft capital. It's, to me it's pretty simple If you're going to go with this whole new era New regime you gotta get the noise out of there You released Antonio Cali because of his issues You trade Odell And you bring in a head coach that will tell Baker Mayfield To shut the hell up Baker Mayfield's got all the talent in the world I think he could be you know, a tier 2 quarterback Like a Matt Ryan type quarterback Matt Ryan at his best was a, up 28-3 to three Against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl At his worst he's a quarterback of a 3-7 and seven Atlanta Falcons team I mean That's what Baker Mayfield can be um. So you you tell him to get the noise out of there. I think if you're going to really rebuild Cleveland, you get the noise out. Maybe that even includes Miles Garrett. I wouldn't do it. I would severely penalize the guy and tell him to watch his back because that was not okay. The biggest need on this team, though, in step number three, is beef up that offensive line. Baker Mayfield's getting hit a ton. The offensive line is completely in shambles, and there's some pretty good talent in this draft class. Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, out of Alabama, or Tyler Biazdez out of Wisconsin. Three really good football players, three versatile players. You can play Wirfs on the left or right side. A tackle, Leatherwood can be a right tackle or a guard. Beazdez can play center or guard as well. You need players. And then you've got some really good free agents too. I don't know if all these guys will make it to the open market, but Brandon Scherf out of Washington. Trent Williams as well. I mean, hey, Trent Williams. Take both Williams and Scherf if you want to for the Browns. you We're going to trade for Williams anyway. Why not just pick him up for agency when he becomes a free agent? Jack Conklin from Tennessee is another option. And then Andres Pete is someone that doesn't need to be talked about or isn't talked about as much, but I think he should be. He was a good player in college, fell to the Saints I think pick 13 in that draft class, and he's been pretty good. The Saints offensive line has been really good from left tackle all the way over to right tackle. So those are some names there. The bottom line here, Cleveland doesn't need a rebuild. This team has talent. It needs discipline and leadership. And that starts in the front office. John Dorsey has to hold his players and his coaching staff accountable and moves on down to Freddy Kitchens, getting the hell out of there. That, it was a really quick rebuild there but because this team does not need a whole lot. You're going to have to re-sign Joe Schobert in free agency, by the way. This guy is going to be... A big-time free agent signed for someone. Let's just hope it's the Cleveland Browns because this guy is a good football player. He's a captain on the defense. You also, if you're Cleveland, could use another corner, another safety, um, minimal things. Second, third round, you could be looking at that guy like a Paulson, a Debo, Xavier McKinney. Um, there, there's a couple names, at a in the draft that they can they can look at as well. Is it, like I said, but I mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have made zero sense there, but as I mentioned, the Cleveland Browns don't need a lot of rebuilding and has a lot of talent from top to bottom. It needs discipline. It needs leadership. It does not need more noise. It does not need character. It needs someone to take it by the horns and push them to Super Bowl territory, which they could reach with this team. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm not on the hype train. I was, I was not on the hype train when they brought him in. Uh, everyone's like Super Bowl Browns. I'm like, no, nope, they're gonna go eight and eight, seven nine nine and seven. They're gonna be around that range, but potential with this team i'm telling you i'm gonna end today with a non-draft related segments um a lot of you guys might hate me for it, but i'm all for controversy we're gonna talk about colin kaepernick here it was the storyline of the week i remember working i think it was friday night or saturday morning getting the alert saying that kaepernick didn't show up to his workout and i'm like what the hell is this guy doing and then you find out you know two hours later he shows up at a high school facility works out with media whatever people calling it a pr stunt and all this stuff and i me before i gathered and garnered an opinion i wanted to get all the information because transparency and honesty is the best for journalists regardless i can be on here and be a character and look like a clown and not know what the hell i'm talking about because i used one piece of information and ran with it or i can still have my character still have my own opinion still have my voice but have all the information to back up my points So let's get the facts straight here kaepernick was out of the nfl for 32 months now i don't know if that is you know hard for you guys to determine that's two and a half years right two and three quarter years if you want me to be specific he filed a grievance with the NFL after claimed that he is being blackballed by the NFL after he was kneeling during the National Anthem in support of equality for the people of color in America. This was obviously after all of the police shootings and you know all this stuff that's going on. I'm not going to go into detail. I don't want to get political. So he filed a grievance that was settled. We don't know the disclosed amount of money, and if we do, I didn't gain that information. But when it was released, I remember sitting at work when the grievance was settled, and it was for an undisclosed amount. Three years later, we're not here, 2019, November, the NFL has agreed to organize and fund a workout for him to showcase his talent to NFL teams. This is the Atlanta Falcons facility. The NFL said we'll video it. We'll send the tape to all 32 teams. We'll uh, you know, we'll send you the raw footage that we take. 25 of the 32 teams agreed to show up, and they showed up at the Atlanta Falcons training facility. Kaepernick, a half hour before his scheduled workout with the Atlanta Falcons facility, with the NFL, decided to go work out privately for the media at a high school 51 miles down the road. Uh, fewer than 10 teams showed up. At The local facility. Now, in order to perform at the workout, the NFL had a couple different guidelines. He couldn't have unlimited media access, he couldn't do certain things, and he had to sign a liability waiver because the NFL was funding this entire thing. Um, they're paying for it, you know, they're getting everything out. They just need him to sign a waiver saying, Hey, if you're doing your workout and you tear your ACL, it's not the NFL's fault pretty standard stuff, getting rid of the responsibility of the NFL in case he was injured. So I did some digging on this liability waiver, and turns out, and this is actually, Brandon Olson retweeted this on Twitter, which is how I found it and thought it needed to be spoken about, so shout out to my my boss, Brandon, for, for pointing that out, pointing this out and tweeting this, finding on Twitter, but turns out that waiver not only was just an injury waiver, but was also intended to exonerate the NFL of any collusion or violations that have occurred since Colin Kaepernick's grievance. So, in signing this, this would eliminate Colin Kaepernick's second attempt to file a lawsuit against the NFL if the collusion had continued. So, Colin Kaepernick, when signing this waiver before he's going to uh, perform in front of these teams, not only would have signed away any—he signed away all the NFL's responsibility— as far as injury, that, that's on me. I got hurt. Kind of like when you go to like a trampoline park, you have to sign the waiver saying, hey, if you break your arm, it's not our fault type thing. That's what Colin Kaepernick went to go sign. This had his lawyers look it over. And in the document, it said that it would eliminate an attempt at a second lawsuit that Kaepernick could have filed if after the workout, the collusion and blackballing would have continued. And... The NFL could retaliate the settled payment between $1 and $10 million that Cap would have to reimburse the NFL for his lawsuit, essentially. Transparency and honesty is the best for journalists. Gather all the information and figure everything out. Now, I am in no way a Colin Kaepernick supporter or fan of what he did. I'm a patriot through and through, will always love America and believe that the American flag is a symbol and sign of respect for not only our country's history, but the men and women that have died every day sacrificing their freedoms and liberties so that we can live in a safe country with the freedoms that we enjoy. I would not be able to host this show without that sacrifice, and we mentioned this on the Veterans Day show. So I am truly thankful for everything that they do and believe that that American flag is a symbol and symbolic measure to those that have died willingly, to give me the freedoms that I have. So I believe that Kaepernick's handling of him kneeling in his protest, the entire thing was all mishandled on his part. I am thankful for every man and woman that have served this great country and fought with bravery to rid this world of evil. And like as I mentioned, I believe that Kaepernick kneeling and protesting was a disrespect to the flag and to those that sacrifice their lives for that flag but it was within his right to do so he has a right to protest for what he believes in whether we agree with it or not how how he did it was a problem but he has a right just how I have a right to get behind this microphone and speak about whatever the fuck I want it's plain and simple I can get behind the mic and talk about the NFL draft but thanks to the men and women just how Colin Kaepernick can protest at a national level because he's given that right. Kaepernick believed that America and its police force was showing brutality and injustice to the people of color in America and decided to take a stand for it. Which, whether we agree with him politically or not, we can all agree that the police brutality, quote unquote, was a big topic of discussion in America whether some consider it brutality or some doing job. We don't know the backstory of all these men and women that ended up getting shot. We just, we don't know. You know, we know some information that was released later. Police, at the end of the day, doing their job, people find it unjust, right? Colin Kaepernick, in taking a stand for it, sacrificed his career and livelihood to do what he believes is right. He took a stand to say, we are America. I am not going to uh, support this America that is hurting my people, my friends, my family, my community. Fair or not fair? it's Again, he's taking a stand for what he believes in, just how I can get behind the mic and take a stand and talk about for what I believe in. And again, I'm not going to get into my personal political views of whether I think the police are being brutal or just doing their job or if I swing one way or the other way. I'm strictly giving facts and information given. Based on the amount of research that I compiled in the past couple days, days. Um, so whether we agree with his stance or not. Whether his opinion or what he is fighting for is something we agree with. Whether we like or dislike, mm-hmm, dislike. It's been a rough morning, guys, I swear. Whether we like or dislike is what I was going to say. How he went about showing his opinions. We all... All of us can agree that he had that right to do so, and what the NFL has done to go at lengths from eliminating him from professional football is egregious and unjust. He has been blackballed, guilted, and been made look like a damn fool because of what the NFL is doing. Year one takes protests. A lot of people that protest didn't get get an invite to a team. Eric Reed sat out. Colin Kaepernick sat out. Then the issue became Colin Kaepernick has the talent to be an NFL team, but won't get the opportunity because of what the NFL is doing. So he filed a grievance, got his settlement money, and the NFL team still didn't give him a call. Uh, then it became an issue of okay, he's just being used as a PR publicity stunt. They're using Kaepernick to prove a point, right? This guy can still throw a football. That that was evident at the private workout he displayed that we saw footage of. He can still play, and it proved it. Whether what I say is controversial, or whether what you agree or disagree with what I have to say, or what Kaepernick has to say, or what Stephen A. Smith and ESPN has to say, or if you if I were to text Brandon and Brandon were to say something right, my buddy Brandon Olson, or any of my friends, we cannot deny the facts here. The NFL tried to take an advantage of... Of Colin Kaepernick with his workout in the waiver And now Public defenders Of the NFL are spinning the narrative Kaepernick's Handling and timing of this event Was not good On his part, it wasn't From the workout being Rescheduled to the media being there Coincidentally He never intended to go to that workout After that waiver After he read that waiver I mean, you don't, you don't get an entire media team, all these people wearing these T-shirts, in a half hour that you changed your timing to. You don't have, you don't have the venue rented out. You had Kaepernick all along had no intention of going to this NFL workout, which is why it's so frustrating for people in the media because he's wanted and stated he wants an opportunity, he wants a job interview. What the NFL gave him was essentially a job interview. So he bypassed that. So people are not saying he doesn't want to play football. This guy wants to play football. And if you read the documents that we have read, and I have stated facts, that the NFL wanted to dismiss the grievance, dismiss the second opportunity of getting another lawsuit on their hands, and get reimbursed, you could see why Kaepernick did what he did with the private workout. What they have done, the NFL, has severely damaged trust between Kaepernick's camp and the league. And because of what the NFL has done in the past to Colin Kaepernick, I cannot blame him for wanting to do something different, for wanting to go away from the NFL's Systematic, sign a waiver, do a workout. We'll see what we can do. Type type of course here. But what Kaepernick has now done is he has damaged any chance he has ever been given to play in the National Football League again. And it's not because he didn't sign the waiver. It's not because he didn't sign the waiver. Because I was on the side of the league at first. I've said it before, and I have said it. You know, I've had this opinion ever since it started. I am not a fan of how Kaepernick initiated this protest and I felt was disrespectful to our country's history and the millions of lives that were lost in battle to protect my freedoms. As someone who believes that the military and our troops are our only one true hero in this world, they were disrespected by Kaepernick's protests. 100%. But what the NFL has done at length to prevent Colin Kaepernick from even having a fair chance at coming back is ludicrous. A fair chance at coming into the NFL would have been, hey, we're organizing this workout. You come show up, you ball out, the teams will be in contact with you. No waiver, no legality, just football. What Kaepernick did what the, what the NFL did, rather, they made it a legal issue to cover their behinds. That way, if something were to go wrong, this guy who has proven he will take legal action, they prevented him from taking that action again. Which, again, I don't blame the NFL for wanting to cover them. But, if you truly were, and this is what they told Kaepernick and his camp and the public, is that they are organizing a fair... Workout A fair treatment for this guy to get in the league. And when Kaepernick was given that waiver, he read the waiver, his lawyers read the waiver. It was not a fair tr- treatment. It was, again, a way for the NFL to continue to tell Colin Kaepernick that we are above you. We are better than you. To prevent Kaepernick, who's already taken a massive stand, to prevent him from taking another one. And as I mentioned before, I am in no way, shape, or form defending Colin Kaepernick. I am simply stating the facts that what the NFL has done to go at length at preventing this player from playing football ever again has never been seen before. And because of their actions, Colin Kaepernick himself has damaged any chance he'll ever play in the league again. He will never play in the NFL again. Um, At least that is my firm opinion. And it's not because of him having the workout at a private venue. It's not from him not signing the waiver. It had nothing to do with that. It is minute and a half speech after he worked out, calling out all 32 teams, calling out all owners, calling out Roger Goodell. That damaged Colin Kaepernick's chance at ever getting in the NFL again. Because if I am an employer trying to hire you, which the NFL was. They brought in 25 teams. He had 25 different job opportunities, essentially. And I get called out by the person that's interviewing saying that I suck, that I am blackballing, that I am blackmailing, that I am a horrible person to work for. Why would I hire that person? I would tell them to leave leave the office immediately if I was the uh, the employer. That's what the NFL and Colin Kaepernick have gone to now. There is no blame here without it being shared. The situation could have been avoided if the NFL didn't have the clause in the waiver saying, you know, we'll be reimbursed for the settlement. You can't have a second settlement. And Kaepernick still could have had a job opportunity if he did not have the speech calling out every single NFL team. I'll say it again. I am not a fan of how Kaepernick initiated his protest, what his message was to the country, to the military, and to the veterans that I have so much respect for. That message to me was disrespectful, and the way that he went about his message could have been happening in a different way, in a different matter. What the NFL has done to prevent this man from ever... Getting into the NFL fairly again is ludicrous. That's all I have to say. I am not leaning one way or the other way, and what I had to say maybe made me uh, feel like I'm leaning towards Colin Kaepernick, which it very well could be. But what this the the reason that 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 is is because of the lengths that the NFL has gone to prevent him from playing. It all started with the protests. Then team's not giving him a call. Then this workout that turned out to be a scam by the NFL to get, essentially, to avoid another legal issue. And now we're at this point here. Don't get me wrong. Kaepernick has damaged it himself. But the NFL here, that everyone seems to be publicly defending, is not at, they are not uh, blame-free. They're not completely out of the dark. Kaepernick is not the scapegoat here. The NFL has some blame to share as well. That's all I have to say. Have a great day, everyone.